Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. Let's pause for a moment of silence and uh, start with 1 John 1 9, which says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's bow our heads and pray, and then I'll open in prayer so we can begin our class. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity to assemble together with the saints so that we can know you more through your word. Help us now through the agency of God, the Holy Spirit, to inculcate these doctrines so that we can apply it to life. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you have your little booklet, uh, we are on page 17, the cross to the crown, the cross to the crown. And so we're going to hit on some of these things here that he mentions in the booklet. And I'll share it on the slide, on the monitor. And if you're online, you should be able to see this. And then I'm going to share several things that I'd like to highlight uh, based on the material here on the book. Starts off by saying, salvation is the beginning of God's plan for man. And after salvation, the believer's objective is to advance through the stages of spiritual growth on... The path from the cross to the crown. And you'll have to ask yourself, what does it mean to go from the cross to to the crown? And Sunday I'd mentioned the acronym BAM, which stands for Baby, Adolescence, and Maturity. And so that's how he frames this study. He talks about the babe and not a like a babe as far as a, a girl is concerned. Not that kind of babe, but a babe in Christ. Based on 1 Peter 2.2, 2. he says, All believers enter the family of God as infants when they exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a.k.a. justification, phase one. And after the tremendous stress of birth, of being cast from the realm of darkness to the light, every infant's first impulse is to nurse. And the objective is nourishment. But the baby receives great comfort in feeding. So he goes on and mentions the the background of a babe, an infant in Christ, or a babe in a physical babe. So now let's just move on to the the next uh, acronym, which is adolescence. On the bottom of page 18, he talks about the Apostle John, how he describes the adolescent believers as a young strong and eager believer. And these are believers who have grown, top of page 19, to the point of which they understand some principles of truth and are beginning to apply them to life. And so I want to talk about some of these things that he has written here. He says that they understand some principles of truth and are beginning to apply them to life. And so this is basically what we see with teenagers today, right? They know a little bit and they think they know it all. And so what he he brings out here is this whole idea of arrogance because of the growing pains and rebellion against authority. We We see that a lot in the home context, right? So there's this arrogance and rebellion against authority, the parental authority, I would assume. And they're sometimes too eager to act on their own, and this often gets them into trouble. They have knowledge which they make mistake, 
they mistake for wisdom, but they lack the experience. So they have some knowledge, partial knowledge, life experience, but really they lack the wisdom that comes from parental authority and ultimately from God's word. So their tendency, the adolescent, the, the teenager, is to want to apply the truth to other people's lives. You know, they want to apply it to other people's lives, and the adolescents may be troublesome, but they are at least not apathetic. And they must be patiently trained and encouraged to channel their energies and so that they won't get into trouble. They have all this energy and they want to control everything. They want to tell the parents what to do. And no one makes it to maturity without passing through adolescence. So Gene Cunningham has this, and it's, I like how he frames this in this particular chapter. He, he starts with being a babe in Christ, going through adolescence, and everything he said here is really apropos, especially for a, a family setting. Because as you know, teenagers grow up and they want to take, they want to take matters into their own hands, and it's laced with arrogance, coupled with rebellion, and they rebel against the authority of the parents. And we see the tug of war going on because they think they know about life and they start to take matters into their own hands. And so Gene takes this and takes it in and puts it into the spiritual realm. And so you see this connection and how even in the spiritual life, we start off as babies and we need nourishment. We need to feed off the mom, grow a little bit, go into adolescence. We become a teenager and then we go into maturity, which is the next acronym here. But before we do, please notice on uh, the section here under adolescent, the last portion on page 19, he says, no one makes it to maturity without passing through adolescence. Spiritual adolescence is illustrated by the Hebrew word batach. Batach. Spiritual adolescence is illustrated by the words batach, the wrestling faith of Psalms 27.3 as well as Psalms 37.3, 27.3, 37.3. And it's this idea of having fear of nothing. The efforts are laced with trust. It's a volitional effort, a volitional effort to ha- maintain confidence in God, this batach, go- towards God. And that's why Gene Cunningham says it's a wrestling kind of faith because sometimes you just have to really Remain confident in Him, confident in God, regardless of what's going on. And so the scripture is full of various words that describe types of faith. Faith is always faith, but when it's, depending on the context as far as how it's used, like in Psalms 27 3, it's more of a wrestling kind of faith. And so your feelings may go contrary to this confidence in God, in His Word. But you still have to wrestle with it and say, regardless of what I see in front of me, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to have this batach towards God. Then he goes on to the mature individual. Hebrews 5.14, 6.1, the mature believer is able to take meat. What is meat? Like steak? What is he referring to when he talks about meat? What is spiritual meat? Advanced food. So what is advanced food? That's true. A lot of protein in it. Very good. But 
When we talk about meat, it's usually contrasted with what? Milk. Milk, meat, milk, meat, meat, milk. So what's the difference between the two? Who can consume the meat? The mature believer. So what's that look like? What's a mature believer? Okay, capacity to consume it. So what does that look like practically speaking? What is a person, let's just say we're talking about church. Walking according to the word. Okay, applying. Walking, applying. Is there any verse that comes to mind when we think of a mature individual? What does a mature person look like? Does the scripture give any kind of illustration? So that if I can say, well, this is, I want to teach about maturity. This is what a mature believer looks like. Where can I point them to? Okay. Okay. All the law stuff? Okay. Yes, Peter did. Came a long way. So, it is. Hmm? Okay. What about David? Yeah, he certainly was a man after God's own heart. He did. Bravery, among other things. Yes, he was. And he was smart enough not to put on Saul's army. Uh, armor. armor. Why was he smart enough? I, I, it's interesting how you well, mention that. Well, that's that could be true, but he says he was not familiar with it. Yeah, it would. So you know how it is. Like if you're using a particular firearm, for example, let's use firearm as, a, as an example, or um, what else can we say? As a baker, you have certain tools that you're comfortable with. If you, you got thrown into something and to use someone else's tools, it's gonna be, you're unfamiliar, so that's gonna make you un, that's gonna make you a little uncomfortable. So David said, I, I'm not familiar with this. I'm not accustomed to this gear. And so, let me have my five rocks. Did he use the five rocks? Did he use stones before? What did he use the? Yeah, what did he use the stones for? Lion and a bear. So he was pretty skilled with a stone to take out a lion and a bear. So his confidence was not in the stone, but in who? Because you hear this when he goes towards Goliath, 
Do you recall what he said to Goliath? He certainly had the stones in his hand, in his pocket. But what was he saying as he was approaching Goliath? The battle is the Lord's, but he said multiple things. You can't defy the armies of God. You know who you're messing with? What's that? That's right. God will be with me. You can't fight against God. You think you're tackling a kid? No, no, no. What's your experience? I I took out a bear, took out a lion with these stones. But God was the one who won these battles for me. He always attributed the credit to who? God. His salvation was the Lord. That should be our mentality. That's the mark of someone who is mature. And we're going to see that there's another... Hmm? Yeah, he was. He he was on course. No, the scripture says in John twenty, everything that we would need or everything that we we would for the Holy Spirit for us to know and grow is contained in the books of the Bible that we have. Everything else would be the earth wouldn't contain it, right? So we have what we would need to advance to higher ground. Oh yeah. we do have is a record of individuals who were phenomenal friends of God uh, man after God's own heart confident in Christ you have a, a whole slew of individuals that we can learn from now we're looking at the mature individual but my question as I mentioned earlier is, is what is the mark of a mature believer I mean don't you want to be considered like a mature believer isn't that our aim so, character. Okay. Okay. Okay, our character. Okay, very good. Thank you, sir. Is this Rudy? Very good, Rudy. Welcome. So that's part and parcel of what marks the mature believer. But there's something in Scripture, and I invite your attention to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. I'm sorry, Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And I want you to see what's there and what the text says right before our eyes. And I'm sure you'll recall this. Very, very, Hebrews 5, we're going to look at 13 to 14. Mike, could you read that with your booming voice? Both good and evil. 
Okay, very good. What do you see here? What's going on in Hebrews 5, 13 and 14? I'll read it for those online. For everyone who partakes only of what? Milk. Is unskilled in the word. So let's stop right there. The person who partakes only of milk is unskilled in what? The word. The person who only partakes or gets in, involved with milk is unskilled in the word. Is that pretty clear? Is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. Verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who are mature, that is, those who by reason of use, use of what? The word. For reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, the mature person takes their Bible and is able to discern good from evil by reason of use. Well, I don't think I should be involved with that because the Bible kind of talks against that and therefore I should not be involved with that. Does that make sense? So it's not Jerry telling me, Freddie, that's wrong. It's God's word telling me that it's wrong. And so over time, as I'm learning more about God's word, I'm now moving and advancing from milk and I'm becoming more skilled over use, over time. And so now I'm able to take solid food. But it's pretty clear in, here in 13 and 14 of Hebrews 5, everyone who partakes only of milk, referring to God's word, because milk is the word of God, as well as solid food, which is re- the word of God. The only difference between the two is not the Bible. Guess who it, guess what determines whether or not milk, guess what determines whether or not the word of God is milk or solid food? You. You. It's not this. Oh, let's exegete this passage. No, that's not meat. It's you. It's who you are. That determines whether or not the Bible is solid food or milk for you. Because it never, ever, ever changes. But we do. We do. So let me read it slowly again and you'll understand why I said it's you. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Who is a babe? We are. The individual is. But solid food belongs to those who are of mature age, or that is, those who by reason of use have whose, whose senses? Their senses. Exercise to discern both good and evil. So it's the individual. It's not the New King James. It's not the Greek text. It's not the Hebrew text. It's you. You ultimately determine whether or not you're into solid food or milk. Not the material itself. It's the 
spiritual strength and the spiritual maturity of the individual. So moving on, on page, the bottom of page 19, the mature. Let's move through this. The mature believer is able to take meat. The advanced doctrine of the word. A Christian or a believer who has doctrine, a Christian who has arrived at spiritual maturity knows enough about the Bible to take responsibility for his own life. He knows how to apply the word of God to himself So instead of airing out all his problems, he figures out how to what? Solve them. He doesn't say, well, let's join the prayer meeting and you know what? Pray for me because A, B, C, D and you know, the Lord is good. He's my shepherd and uh, you know, I don't want to gossip about about anything. But you know, my wife the other day, you know, pray for her. and, And so we're airing it out. Some people do that. But notice what Gene says here. Instead of airing out his problems, he figures out how to solve them using doctrine, using God's word. He's not ready to take on everyone else's problems, but he can take care of his own. Top of 20. He understands that God has a plan for his life and becomes occupied with fulfilling that plan. He gives himself to training and discipline, exercising himself and building spiritual muscle. Spiritual maturity is illustrated by the Hebrew word hasa, which means to take refuge, means to be place of protection where you go to a place of protection where this confident type of faith as found in Psalms 57.1, he takes refuge, refuge in the Lord. But how do you take refuge in the Lord since we cannot see him physically? How do you teach someone to take refuge in the Lord? Faith, rest, drill. Trust in who? In him. But... Very good. You're resting in the Lord. And so our orientation now is the way we orient to Jesus Christ today is by orienting properly to God's word, Bible doctrine. Because God's written word is Jesus Christ in written form. Does that make sense? The Bible represents Jesus in his entirety. All Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is recorded in Holy Writ. And so we have everything we would need in the Bible. So the more we are in tune with the Bible, the more in tune we are with God. So as we take refuge in Christ, in God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, it's when we properly align ourselves with His Word. Because the Word represents Him. And therefore it makes sense to take refuge in His Word, in His promises. As Scott said, we faith rest. But how do we know what to fight faith rest in? You need to know the promises of God. And where does that, where is that found? In the Word of God. You can't faith rest apart from God's Word. So that needs to be clear. We need to be, take refuge in His Word. 
So that was the mature believer. That takes us to the last two points here from Pastor Gene's book. The hero of faith. Watch this. The hero of faith, Isaiah 53, 12. He also cites Hebrews 11. Heroes of faith are men and women who have gone beyond maturity. And they have learned to fight the good fight. So notice that there is a fight going on. There is an ongoing fight going on. Our our fight is not with flesh and blood. Principalities and powers, angelic conflict. They have advanced beyond simply taking responsibility for their own lives to becoming responsible for the lives of who? Other people. So these are the heroes of faith. The hero of faith, he calls them. So these are the individuals who are no longer like the the mature believers as found in page 19 where the the mature believer is focused on himself only. Remember that on the bottom of page 19? The author talks about how he takes responsibility for his own life and he knows how to apply the word of God himself. So instead of airing out all his problems, he figures out how to solve them and he can take control of his own life. Now we're on page 20. He understands that God has a plan for his life. That's the mature believer. Now we're getting down to the heroes of faith. Middle of the paragraph, uh, the page 20. He now talks about the heroes of faith. He says, men and women who have gone beyond maturity and have learned to fight the good fight. They have advanced beyond simply taking responsibility for their own lives. Now the shift in the orientation is they become responsible for the lives of others. They're thinking of others. Does this not sound like church? We're looking out for the welfare of others. That's what the hero of faith looks like today. Which one? Jephthah? Yeah, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, mm-hmm. one of the heroes of faith. Yeah. And uh, I wonder, you know, he made Israel victorious. Mm-hmm. I think it was Midian. Yeah. Do some more research. Yeah. The Bible isn't clear on every single person. But what we are clear on, there are heroes of faith. There are people who exercise faith in God in spite of the odds stacked up against them. Right? And so now the author is talking about the hero of faith, which is, can that take place today? We know the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, but you can now be the extended chapters of Hebrews 11. Look at what the author says here. You've gone beyond just maturity. You've gone beyond learning how to fight the good fight. They have now advanced beyond simply taking responsibility for their own lives. They've become responsible for the lives of other people. Is that how your orientation is? Are you... Are you naturally looking outside of your sphere? If you are, you're going to be a part of the hero of faith. You're just not so focused on yourself. Now, am I saying that that you have to? Every person here has to be a hero of faith? No, 
You don't have to. It depends on your level of love for God, your level of commitment for God. It's not for everybody. Not everyone is going to look out for the others. Not everyone is going to be responsible for the life of other people. Notice what uh, Gene says here. They're always ready to pick up fallen comrades. They're always ready to pick up fallen comrades to treat their wounds, to encourage them, and supply their needs. This is going beyond the norm. Heroes of faith still make mistakes, and they still fail, but they always stand back up and go back into the fight. They go back into the battle. The hero of faith status is illustrated by Yahel, the healing faith of Job, as found in Job 13.15. That's a very powerful word that has the idea of hope, weight, expectation. It's that Hebrew word Yahel, going back into the battle and trusting in God no matter how bad it is. And so you see this illustrated by the life of Job. Remember what happened in Job? He's getting hit with crisis after crisis after crisis. And it's just not little tiny things. I mean, it was his life. It was his family. It was his property. Everything that he owned was basically smothered out. His own family died back to back. Every As he was getting introduced to a problem, another servant would come and say, uh, you, you, you know, this is happening. Your, your, your servants have died. A house collapsed. Everything that you could think of, it hit Job bat one after another. And then he finally says, why? Lord, why? And the wife even was nudging him saying, what's going on? What did, what did the wife say? Curse God and die. Your own wife would say, you know what? Curse God and die. His own wife looking at the loss of loved ones, sons and daughters, property, told Job to, you know what? Just tell him that you're, you're done. Just tell him you're done. The closest person to, to Job was now telling him just Curse God, basically, tell, curse God and die. And what did Job say? Yeah. And and then his friends. What happened to the friends? Isn't that true today? Sometimes. People wonder, Scott, what'd you do? You're hiding something. You know, you gotta have done something wrong, Scott. Why is all this turmoil happening to you? Has that not happened to you once at least in your life where all of a sudden things just are not turning out right and then people are wondering what did you do wrong? And you have all these people stacked up against you. You must have done something wrong. David, everybody knows you did something wrong. And guess who these are? These are people that are considered your friends. And all through this, what did Job do? Job didn't do anything wrong. He questioned God. In fact, let's turn to Job 13.15 so that we can see the Yahel that was used here. Job Thirteen 
Job 13.15 Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Even if he were to take my life, even if enemies were to take my life, I will trust him. You have that kind of confidence in God? Yahel, the hero of faith status, the healing faith of Job. That's a hero of faith kind of mentality, kind of trust in God. That no matter what is going on, even if life should be hit you hard, so that your friends turn against you, your wife turns against you, loved one turns against you, Yahel, you have trust in God. When we study things like this, it should prompt us and help us remember and etch in our souls that, look, God has recorded what he wants us to see, what he wants us to know, so that he's covered all bases so that when we go home, we can say, man, you know what? The Bible is just, he's, the Bible is just reminding me that it's, it covers all bases. And that's exactly like what I'm going through right now. Or that what I went through last week or the week before, the month before, or next week, next month, next year. You're going to go through something similar. And guess what? The doctrines that we're studying together now are going to be etched in our souls so that when the, when that problem hits, we're going to be able to say, oh yeah, I remember. What, what do we do? Yeah, hell. Yeah, hell through it all. So what? We're going through hell? Yeah, hell. We're going to be able to ride this out because God is going to take care of us. When we see it for what it is, this is the whole reason why we, we live from faith to faith. From faith to faith. We don't do it on our own. We could complain and throw up, throw our hands up in a, um, in a fit or we can exercise faith in Him. We notice that other people have gone through something similar or even more difficult, so we don't have anything to complain about. Because God sees them through. And if God, if God sees them through, will He not see us through? He certainly will. He certainly will. So that's the hero of faith. Now the bottom of page 20, the friend of God. Let's look at the friend of God. James 2, 23 and 25. The highest of all possible achievements in the life, in life is to become a friend of God, as the author mentions here. Bottom of page 20. Every believer has the potential and the assets or resources necessary to reach that or this point, but very few believers do. It takes persistence and tenacity. That word persistence has the idea of not easily giving up. And tenacity, what's tenacity? It's the idea of very determined, not easily giving up, and very determined to advance it to move forward. So very few believers make this where they're a friend of God. It takes persistence and tenacity. And only people, the only people who make it this far are the people who absolutely refuse to quit. Top of page 21. These people refuse to quit. The friend of God status is illustrated by the Hebrew word kava. Kiva or kava 
which has the idea of waiting and ex- expecting, expecting God to come through, expecting him to answer in the affirmative. He is going to come through for you. That's the friend of God status because no matter what you go through, you are confident and expecting him to see you through and to see you at the end of the problem because as you trust him consistently, habitually, you reach that friend of God status because nothing rocks your world, nothing shakes you, nothing discourages you because you know God enough to trust him in spite of what you see, in spite of what you go through because you've learned to faith rest, you've learned to go beyond just watching your own life, your own self, but you're even at the point where you are even thinking of others. You're thinking of their welfare and you're coming alongside the strong, coming along the weak and assisting them. And so as you do these and you hit each of these levels, the friend of God level, the mature level, you, the babe level, the adolescence level, the maturity level, and you go on and on and on and you reach that friend of God status, Oh, you're riding well. You're riding quite well. You're a stable individual. I would expect you that no matter what happens in your life, you're going to be able to say, well, you know, God's got this. Huh? After all this, you're going to say God's got this? You're still going to claim God's got this when all all of this is happening to you, sir? Yeah. I've seen worse before. And so I'm a friend of God's status, and I know he's seen me through, so I have no reason to worry. I have no reason to twerk. To, to be upset. Why? Because God has seen me through. I've seen worse. And I've read about worse. So I have nothing to worry about. The reason why we study our Bible. The reason why we get together each and every Sunday. Is to be refueled. To get into the word of God. And to be exposed to doctrines that will help us stabilize. Amidst the crisis. Amidst when people turn their backs on us. When friends and family turn their backs on us. We can say well. God's got this. And so vengeance belongs to him and I'd rather retain or get to the level, get to the point where I'm a friend of God's status because I know that there's nothing better than that. And as you inculcate these truths and you recognize that there's nothing better than honoring and glorifying God as you move through each of these levels, nothing's going to hold you back. Nothing's going to stop you. In fact, I would expect that you guys would be extremely extremely joyful and stable. Why? Because that's the essence of all that we study. All When we talk about faith rest, uh, doctrine, Bible doctrine, the mind of Christ, all of that at its apex should be, the re- that should result in a person who is stable, confident, and not have a plastic happy face like this, but a real joyful spirit inside where in spite of what goes on, even if you're going through hardship, no one has to know it. You don't have to pretend like everything's fine, but you come to church, you they see you, you're still as if nothing happened. You don't have to put anything on your shoulder and show that you have a long face. You just say, well, yeah, I, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm going through hardship, but you know what? No one needs to know this because God's got my back and I'm going to recognize that as long as he's alive and I see these truths manifest in the word of God and in my past, I have no reason to sweat, no reason to stress. In fact, I'm commanded not to stress. Be anxious for what? Nothing. So what are you doing stressing out? That's not even optional. That's an imperative. That's a command from who? God himself. 
So the truth is, we're going to have those bad days where we're like, you know what, my, my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, we're not getting along right now. Can that be squelched? It certainly can, because that comes through a consistent intake of God's word, not just reading it and saying, oh, hitting it every now, oh, God, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love, oh, I trust that. No, it's growth. It's spiritual growth that ad, where you're advancing, not just inculcating specific Bible verses. Because the devil can memorize verses. He knows a lot of verses. What makes a difference is where are you spiritually? Are you at that point where you are ready for spiritual meat? Where, it, again, it's you. You're spiritually advancing. That determines where you are spiritually. Are you at a friend of God status? And if so... Nothing should move you. You should be rock solid where you are. Doesn't matter where you're going. Doesn't matter who's against you. Doesn't matter who's against, uh, uh, assaulting you and smearing your name, your reputation. Because if you believe God's going to take care of you, you have nothing to worry about at all. At all. Over and out. There's too much in here, in his word, in the Bible, in the doctrines that we've been studying, to even worry and stress out. We should be celebrating the only celebrity, which is Christ Jesus. But most churches don't today because they come in church and they come to church with heavy faces, long faces. And the reason why is because they don't have doctrine stored up in their soul. They, they're not getting any sound teaching. And so they're there faking it. They're saying, well, praise the Lord. Mike, give me a hug. Come here, man. Give me a hug. Everything's fine. But it's not really fine. You know, I think one of the reasons why I have a heart for those in California, my church there, who is really holding things together is because they're amidst, we're amidst a Lisa Viejo, an area where we're about three miles away from one of the largest churches in America. One of the largest churches in America. And when you when you get off the freeway, you see cars going left, a lot of cars going left, and maybe a handful of cars turning right. The many cars going left is going to that Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in America. The, ch- the cars turning to the right, they're either going to our church or um, Chevron. So, you know, they're holding the line over there. Because they want a small location, they want a small group that is going to continue to make doctrine available. There are not too many churches in California doing what we're attempting to do. And so, you know, and I'm proud of National Capital as well. We've got a nice group here as well, and, you know, We've got a lot to offer here, and I'm hoping over time we will continue to advance what we're doing and reach out to the people that we are in contact with because this is the stuff that people need to know. They really need to know this stuff. I mean, what have we covered thus far? The growth. I mean, how many, ch- how many people, how many churches are you aware of that can consistently talk about the cross to the crown Talk about what it means to be a babe in Christ, then advancing to adolescence, and then maturity, and then going on to the hero of faith and the friend of God, making those distinctions. Mike, have you heard of anybody like that? Any church doing this? 
Yeah, uh, doctrinal Bible teaching churches. David, do you know, know of any other church that's within 50 miles? I mean, that'd be great if there is. Because, Scott, do you know anybody? That's... Okay. Well, I, I would hope that there is, but I really don't know. I, I'm more familiar with California. So that's why I'm just asking. Uh, Vanessa, do you know of any church? Rick? Uh, there's a whole lot of people I would wish that were like that. But, you know, they, I, I tried to encourage people to at least listen online. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, we can we can make it happen. I'm confident we can make it happen. We just have to be motivated. The only thing that's stopping us is the motivation. I think uh, last question. Yes. I used to do religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. Because <laughs> when I was a member of the church, mm-hmm. I used to serve in the church as a pastor and a teacher. Mm-hmm. When I mentioned that I'm going to be, I'm going to go to a divorce, he said it's a disease for them. They did. And I didn't understand it. So, uh, I'm not asking them. Well, he... Well, I have a project for you, Rudy, if you want to help me out with this. Why don't you go through your Rolodex and all the people in Virginia? Tell them about our church. You don't? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, if you... That's true, uh, Gladys. Uh, Are there a lot of teaching churches in Arizona? I know. uh, Yes, there are a lot of churches. Good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I good. Think, uh, yeah. Right. 
<coughs> right. That's right. That is right. Very true. Well, you know, you you helped me remember a verse, Rudy. So uh, if you guys can all turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. About hardship. Just kind of connected um, something as you were talking, Rudy. And if anyone gets it, can you read Hebrews 5, 8 for me? Referring to Jesus now. Okay, did you guys hear that online? Though he was a son, referring to Jesus Christ, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So he was able to learn obedience through suffering. So we're being Christ-like as we learn obedience through suffering. Or as we go through suffering, we get to apply the doctrines that we're learning, such as the faith that we've covered thus far. So as we're applying these truths, these doctrines, now we are in the same camp with Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews 5 says, Hebrews 5, 8 Though Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which what? He suffered. So there's something there to gain from some suffering. We can learn to apply the truths that we've learned together as well as recognize that Jesus Christ learned obedience through suffering himself. He learned to trust God, that is, right? He learned to focus forward and say, well, not my will, but thine will be done. And so that kept him moving forward. So even though they were trying to stop him, even though they were trying to kill him, he kept on moving forward, 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 forward. And he learned obedience through what? Suffering. So even though they were spiting him, even though they were ridiculing him, he kept pushing, pushing, pushing. He would feed 4,000 here, 5,000 here. They would try to stop him over here. He would keep moving. He would take a boat out to preach from a, a distance on the sea. And he would keep on doing what he was called to do until it was his time to go ultimately on the cross to pay for your sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, my sin, and everyone online and ultimately the world so that in the end he can say, It is finished. To tell us die. It is finished. What was finished? The cross work. The propitiation. So that now everyone outside of these doors, everyone outside of the online presence can have potential relationship, rapport with God the Father through the the work of Jesus Christ. That is 
phenomenal. When you really think about that, that's what he did for you and for me. And how dare we say, well, we can't invite people. Certainly we can. I'm not saying, Rick, you, you're not. You, I know you've been trying. But we should make a concerted effort to continue to reach out there, to keep reaching, 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 just as Jesus kept pressing, 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 until it was his time to ultimately say, it is finished. It's not finished as long as God continues to give us breath. I'm not saying that you're not trying. I'm just saying we can continue to try, keep continue to push, because eternity is in the balance. And if we're a local church, if we're a local ministry online, if we're studying doctrine together, then there's nothing that should stop you from getting people locked, um, pointed here in Virginia, if you, if you know people in Virginia, or praying for us as a ministry, supporting us as a ministry. There's so many ways you can assist and advance the work of God as we continue to dispense biblical truth, helping people grow spiritually and ultimately, ultimately giving God the glory and honor which rightfully belongs to Him. So while we have a few minutes here, let me take you now to my notes to go alongside what uh, we just read. So why should the believer be interested in advancing through the stages of spiritual growth from the cross to the crown? Why? Why bother? I'm saved anyways, right? Why should I even worry about going from a babe to a mature individual or even a friend of Christ? Well, number one, you can understand God's word. The Bible is God's revelation to humanity, and by studying it, believers... I guess it cut out here, sorry. Let me see. I think I have my... It, the, this knowledge helps the believers develop a more intimate relationship with God. That's what it's supposed to say. Apologize for it cutting off here. Number two, spiritual growth. Here's a, another reason why we need to take seriously the growth from the cross to the crown. So number two, spiritual growth. The Bible serves as a guide for spiritual growth. It provides Wisdom, guidance, and encouragement on how to live a righteous and fulfilling life. By engaging with the scriptures, believers can grow in faith, character, and maturity. And number three, I put that in red for a reason. I think this is one of the most important things. In a world, or discerning truth, number three, in a world with various ideologies and beliefs, studying the Bible equips believers to discern truth from falsehood. The scripture provides a solid foundation of absolute truth, enabling believers to navigate moral and spiritual challenges with clarity and discernment. And oh, do we need that today? We need that for sure today. So discerning truth, that's one of the reasons why we want to advance. Number four, another important aspect of what Gene Cunningham brought out in this book. Another reason why it should um, interest us is because it strengthens our faith. The Bible contains countless stories of God's faithfulness, His miraculous works, and His promises. By immersing ourselves in Scripture, believers can find inspiration, assurance, and increased confidence 
in our faith, your faith, fostering a steadfast and unshakable foundation. What does the Bible say as far as faith? What if you want more faith? What does it say? Where do we get that? How does faith come? Very good. Where does it say that, Vanessa? Do you remember? John. John, close. Roman, try Romans, Romans 10. Let's see if my memory serves me correctly. Romans 10, 17. Whoever has that verse, can you read it out just to see if I still have it? Romans 10, 17. Someone's going to say, I don't have enough faith as Scott. How do I get to be like Scott? I need more faith. So what does Romans 10, 17 say? Mike. So faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. So it's very specific. Not just hearing a sermon online. It's talking about hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Not some pastor online, although that's not bad. But you have to get into the Bible. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Do you have the word of God in your possession? You should. You should only have, you should own a Bible. The Bible you're going to read is the Bible that you own. Okay? So Romans 10-17 connected with point number four, which says strengthening faith. Number five. Equipping for service. This is another reason why we should be interested in going from cross to crown. Discerning truth, or I'm sorry, strengthening faith. Equipping for service. The Bible provides instruction and examples for serving others effectively. Through its teachings, believers learn about compassion, humility, forgiveness, selflessness, essential qualities for engaging in acts of love, service, and ministry. And this is especially important in the context of a ministry such as a church. This is the only place that we're going to learn how to be equipped for service. You have uh, Sunday school the best place to get instruction is from the Word of God, especially when you emulate and follow the example as set forth by Jesus Christ himself, who is the ultimate teacher of all. And so you find out how to show compassion, how to live in humility, how to forgive, how to live a selfless life, and these provide essential qualities for engaging in acts of love, service, and ministry. And so I think that's a good starting point, the Word of God, and to grow in the Word of God. Number six, it shows you how to share the gospel. Growing in the Bible equips the believer with knowledge and understanding of the gospel message. This empowers or enables you to confidently and effectively share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, fulfilling the great commission as found in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. You find this there. And lastly, personal transformation. Your life cannot change Apart from growth, from cross to the, what's it? Cross to the crown. I got tongue tied there. Cross to the crown, number seven. Personal transformation. The Bible has the power to transform lives, your life and mine. By internalizing its teachings, believers are challenged to align your thoughts, attitudes and behaviors with the principles outlined or found in the word. 
leading to personal growth, healing, and positive change. Why did I put healing? Because sometimes when you read the Bible, all of a sudden those things that you were wrestling with for the last several years, all of a sudden you learn to let those go because you discover that, you know, there's more important things than holding on to these things that you've held on to for the last five, ten years. And so you can heal as you discover that God went through the same thing plus some. He's been rejected by his own family. He's been rejected by the people that he served. He, he told, he, he told people, don't tell people, don't show people what I've done to you. And guess what they do? They do. They try to prematurely show themselves after Jesus Christ had confidently said, don't let anybody know about this. And what did they do? They let him down. So there's a lot of things that we can learn from and heal from as we go through scripture. Now what, why did I specifically highlight that one? Because a lot of people today are um, going through turbulent relational problems. And that's one of the most difficult of all to move from. Because there's things in the past where people said, you know what, I can't believe he did this, I can't believe she did this. And it just it, that's probably the most difficult of all to move forward in. Even though you're a believer, you trust God, you've got Bible doctrine in your soul. I know people, pastors, who've been hurt in the past that still have difficulty moving forward because of previous relationships. And so I know this is a very tough one. When I talk about healing, the only person that can heal, the only material that can heal is God's Word, Bible doctrine. But it has to be done consistently and it has to be, it has to be, you have to trust in what it's going, the outcome as you get into the Word. Not say, well, I want you to take care of him or her. It's more of like, well, what can I do? What can I benefit from this as I humble myself and apply these truths to my life? What will it look like if I become a friend of God? And instead of looking out for myself alone, I'm going to decide to look and take care of the people around me. Maybe God has put specific people in your life to manifest himself amidst the people that you know so that you can make an impact which will forever change their eternity. So having said that, and I know we're just about finished with our time, let's close in a word of prayer and we'll pick this up next week looking now at um, spiritual flexibility. I believe that's what it's called. Spiritual flexibility. Let me just confirm that. Doctrine of spiritual flexibility, page 21, next week. If you're listening online... Join us again next week, page 21, Spiritual Flexibility. This is where we will resume. With our heads bowed, Father, thank you as always for giving us this opportunity and privilege to look to your word. It truly is a privilege because we know, Father, that there are many people around the world that do not have access to good Bibles, good sound material. They're just praying to the tree trunk. And they don't even know who they're praying to. They don't have any the foggiest idea as far as who you are. We know that creation thunders your existence. But Father, until they acquiesce to Jesus Christ, there there is no salvation. So we pray for those who are out there in the world, in the islands, up in the hills, somewhere, who do not know you yet, that you would send missionaries who are grounded in truth that would be able to minister to them and share Jesus Christ so that they might have life salvation and everlasting life for all eternity and thank you father for this this beautiful place that we can fellowship in thank you for those who are online who can join us through the avenue of uh, technology 
so that wherever they are, be it Arizona, Philippines, or up north, upland, Stockton, California, they can join us just the same so that they can uh, be particip- participating in our studies as we go through the key doctrines as found in this material. Thank you, Father, for giving us this opportunity to assemble and uh, talk mo- mainly about you and you and you alone and your word. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.